First Kings 18, 41 through 45 says, Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. Then he bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees and said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And seven times he said, go again. Then it came to pass the seventh time that he said, there is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. So he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind and there was a heavy, heavy rain. James in the New Testament picks up this story in James chapter five. And in verse 16 in James chapter five, he says at the very, the very end of that verse, he says, if you can put it up on the screen, buddy. He says, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The amplified translation of that verse and the amplified translation is just looking at the Greek adjectives, looking at the, the tenses to get a full meaning. It says it like this, and I like this. It says, the earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available dynamic and it's working isn't that good I really like that the next verse if you keep following James chapter 5 the next verses say this in in verses 17 and 18 it says Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed earnestly that it would be that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months and he prayed again and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. This is one of the most distinctive things about Elijah's entire life and ministry that he prayed, closed uh, heaven, prayed again and, and, and it rained showing that God was behind all of it and also behind Elijah. So today we could look at a lot of different spots with, with this scripture in James chapter five and in first Kings, we could look at a lot of different things but the topic I really want us to focus on is this one word of prayer. That's what I want us to focus on because this man, Elijah, prayed that rain would come. Why does that even matter? Like if you think about it, why does that even matter if it rains or not? Well, it's significant because as pastor's been preaching on this series of rain, down throughout history, down throughout especially church history, believers have seen the coming of rain as the coming of blessings or the coming of, of the presence of God. It's been associated with revival to where you, you know, people pray, oh God, let it rain here, let it, let it come, let it rain, let it rain. It's it's magnificent in the Old Testament books like Isaiah that God is, is, is going to rain down on his people and he's going to come in that kind of way. So asking for the Lord to rain, for him to rain down his mercies, blessings, salvation, all of that is really common in the church. It's really common all through church history. So my view of this passage, the more I read it and the more I, I invest in it, I'm taking some classes at Liberty right now that put me in this, in this passage a lot. And when I read it, I really read it now like really instructive about Elijah's life and about how this great man of prayer prayed. And so here's James, this New Testament writer, trying to pin down words about the importance of prayer, trying to, trying to let people understand prayer in its deepest way. So he's trying to reap Old Testament examples of it. So he's trying to figure out who can I use in the Old Testament to use. And, and out of all of them, out of the abundance group of people he could choose from, he picks out of all of them Elijah and said, look, here's Elijah. Let me tell you about prayer. Look at Elijah's life. Look at his life. And James starts off by saying the coolest statement to me that here's a man just like us 
That's the way he talks about Elijah. Here's a man with the same nature as us, a man just like we are. And that's the encouragement from Scripture, all through Scripture, that just flies and jumps right out of the pages of the Bible, that these Bible heroes, these great men, these great women of faith are actually just like us. They're not special. They're not angels. They're not perfect. They're, in fact, just like us. And yet they've grown their relationship with God so much that God does these amazing things with their lives. So God's saying through scripture, come on, I want you to pray. Come on, church, I want you to talk to me. Come on, and that's our prayer today as Kirby as well, that, that you would be spurred on in praying because of what James is gonna show you through his word, through, through his writings in, in God's word. So as we try to pick apart this man Elijah this morning and how he prayed, if you're a note taker, I want you to just grasp a few things from this because the very first thing that we see is in 1 Kings 18, 42, that he withdrew from the crowd. The scripture says, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. Then he bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees. He is in prayer. He withdrew from the crowd. That's what he did. He was in prayer. Elijah went up to the top of the mountain, away from the people, away from the praise, the celebration, all the wow, the fire is falling because God had vindicated himself. If you know this passage, God had vindicated himself and there's a lot of excitement all around at that time because God had done this awesome thing. And then Elijah withdrew from it all. That's what he did. He withdrew. And really, if you think about it in that sense, he's a whole lot like Jesus, isn't he? He's a lot like Jesus. Anytime you read about Jesus, you realize that he never got caught up in other people's agendas. He never got caught up in, in, in the excitement, the crowds that were pressing in on him. You'll find again and again and again that Jesus withdrew from the crowds. Jesus wouldn't be there. And people are like, dude, where's Jesus? Where did, where did Jesus go? Well, he's alone with the Father. That's where he is. He's alone. He's praying. He's talking to his father. That's what he's doing. And in the same way, Elijah withdrew. He wouldn't let other people dictate what he was going to do with his time. And the same was true of the disciples. That I mean, you think about this, that thousands of people were saved. 3,000, then 5,000. You're thinking, wow, here we go. Yeah, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. And yet when all the social pressures, pressures began to arise, the poverty was at its peak the people were desperate for the disciples. They were desperate for truth. So they were seeking out the disciples more than anybody. The disciples began to say, listen, elders, listen, elders, this is incredibly, incredibly important. We've got to meet these people's needs, but we've got to follow Jesus's style. And we're gonna go be alone and pray. We must give in to prayer. We're not gonna be dictated to by an agenda, by anything else. Our agenda is going to be just like Christ's. So we're gonna withdraw. We're going to give ourselves to prayer. We cannot neglect it. Jesus modeled it. And then the disciples modeled it. But really, Jesus didn't just model it. He actually taught it in this, in this crazy clarity. In Matthew 6, verse 6, this is Christ's famous Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus said, if you can put that scripture up there, buddy. Jesus said, but you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you shut your door, pray to the Father who's in the secret place. Look at all these phrases Christ uses himself in his sermon. He says, go into your room, shut the door, secret place. And in the previous verse, in Matthew 6, verse 5, Jesus is comparing this. He's comparing all of that. If you can put it back on the other scripture, PG, I'm sorry, man. If, you can, uh, if, if he compares all that together, he's comparing it to the Pharisees. 
who, who like to put on a show with their prayer. They like to put on a show and it was, it was one of the ways that they showed credibility for themselves. It was one of the ways that, that, that they, you know, made themselves to be real puffed up and, and important and they were prideful in it. And so in all that, Jesus says, no, 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 all of that, he says in verse five, don't do all that. Don't, don't be all about that stuff. You come and you do it in a hidden way. It's not for men to see, it's for God to see. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to go into your room. I want you to shut your door and I want you to talk to God. I want you to talk to the father in your secret place. So the first reason he mentions withdrawing is because he's coming to get with God. He's coming to be with God. And then he says, close the door. Come into your inner room. It's as if you need a place where you can go to, that, go to that's away, that's, that's secret, that's in a way just hidden. And my question for you is, do you, do you have a place like that? Do you know of a place like that in your life? Where you say, you know, th- this is where I go to pray. This is a special place for me and the Lord. It's, you know, it's nothing spiritual necessarily about that place. It's just a place where I can go to be with the Lord. Because Jesus says, go into your room. And then the next phrase, he says, and close the door with your father in secret. And we as believers today have to find that kind of context. I wanna encourage you to, to build into your life a place where you go to pray. You might wanna change it from time to time. You might wanna you know, change the sequence of it to freshen it up, whatever. But, but a place where you say, that's where I go to be alone with God. I close the door. I talk to the father. That's where it is. There's this really cool passage in Genesis chapter four. And you don't have to turn there because it's gonna be up on the screen. But Genesis chapter four, there's these two verses that I've just never seen before that are just incredibly impactful. Genesis four, verses 25 and 26 in a moment. Um, but before we get to that, if you can, if you can turn there, if you, if you don't want to, then it's on the screen, it's all good. But um, it's interesting to see in that, in that passage that Jesus mentions father three times in verse six and verse eight. He says, Father, three times. He says, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who's in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly for your Father knows the things you have need of before you even ask Him. So you're going to be with your Father who is aware of you. And if you don't know Christ in here, this is a, a beautiful thing. This God is aware of you. He's for you. And He actually is already aware of what you're thinking and what you truly need even when you don't realize it. It's not like, what do you want now? He's in a position where he says, yes, I know. Listen, I'm involved and, and, and I, I'm for you. I'm listening to your heart. I care for you. I'm your father. It's just so intimate coming to your father. He views it as your father, your father, your father. And this passage in Genesis 4 is an incredible passage about the beginnings of prayer. In Genesis 4, verse 25 through 26, it says, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son named Seth. For God had appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. And as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. This is it, church. Check this out. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. The beginning of prayer isn't a New Testament thing. The beginning of prayer is found in the very first book within the first few chapters of the entire Bible. What does it mean to call on the name of the Lord? It means the way in which God reveals himself. We're not taking some shot in the dark or or simply just hoping for something. We're talking about a God who has initiated a relationship by telling us what he's like. And one of the biggest ways that he tells us what he's like is by telling us his name. And so these people called out to the name of the Lord. And you'll find all throughout the Old Testament, you'll find his covenant name, like the Lord Almighty. Another name, like like the God who sees you, the God will provide all these names. You see covenant names all throughout the Old Testament scriptures. So people called on God in the light of how he revealed himself. Do you follow? 
some southern slang for the, for the word name. Sometimes back home they'll say handle. What's his handle? What's his name? What's his handle? And it's as if God to the Old Testament people has given us a handle. He's given, he's given us a name that we can hang on to to know him. He's given us a way to relate to him. And, and for us, it's even greater that we were given Jesus in the New Testament, that we know Christ, flesh and blood. He, he in flesh and blood, walked on this earth. But to even think about his relationship with the Father before, it just blows your mind. To think an eternal face-to-face relationship, full of love. And one day the Father looks at his Son and sent him to, to walk on the earth sent him to be flesh and blood and there's Jesus on earth living boldly the proclamation I only want to do what pleases you father I only want to do what you want that's what I want to do just just a living relationship with the father he had that on earth and and he demonstrated that for us that nothing is going to pull me away from what the father wants for me that's just a phenomenal relationship I love that And then here comes Jesus saying to us, when you realize that context, he comes saying to us, listen, come follow me. So listen, when you pray, when you pray, church, when you pray, you say, Father. We have the right and the privilege to be sons and daughters of Almighty God and to call him Father. The God who provides, that's great and that's awesome. But Father, that means we've got got a privileged relationship with the Lord. I have two little girls, man, a four-year-old and a two-year-old. They call me daddy and, 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 and I'm their father. They have privileges with me. They use them all the time, <laughs> all the time. Daddy, can I have? Daddy, I want, daddy, here's their opinion. They use them all the time. Well, yeah, they do, but why? Because I'm their father. You're to talk to God. Jesus says, you're to talk to God as your father in your secret place. He's your father. It's good. Elijah went to be with God at the top of a mountain to get away. And Jesus is saying to us, come be with your father. And now in in John 17, we're allowed to eavesdrop a little bit into how Jesus talks to the father. We hear a little bit in what that dialogue sounds like. And even Jesus in his prayer and his discussion with the father himself, he says, holy father. He uses phrases in the same prayer that, that says, oh, righteous father. I get a kick out of this, but sometimes I go to, I love the mall because there's a lot of teenagers there and I minister to teenagers. So I'm like, dude, I, I love that. And cause I mean, I like to people, you know, watch. And then I love to, I don't really like to shop. I like to walk around. My wife doesn't get that. I just like to walk around, you know, and teenagers are there. So it's like this all in one kind of encompassing thing. And I see some teenagers there. Most time I know them, but they'll wear the Jesus is my homeboy t-shirts. You seen those shirts, you know, the shirts. And, and most of the time I wear them so I can actually do this, but I usually go up and I shake them. I'm like, no, he's not. He's not your homeboy. He is almighty God. He's not your homeboy. And I'm just like, ah, and they're like, what are you doing? And it's really funny. But I think, man, no, I want to get it into my head, into our teenager's head, into our church's mind, just that he's not our homeboy. Sure, he's our friend and he's our companion, but he is almighty God. And we have the privilege to come to him as he is our father. That's our privilege. Like, like that, that you would never say, my dad's my homeboy. Your dad would be like, son, <laughs> right? Son, what did you just say? I'm sorry, sir. Sorry, dad. You're, you're my dad. You're, but that's the same thing with God. He's our father. So in viewing God as your father, never forget the reverence and even the fear for the Lord and remembering that he's almighty and he is in control of all. And he chooses to let you be a son and daughter. And he says, I'm your father. Talk to me and call me father because we're that close, we're that tight. So Elijah withdrew from the crowd, right? 
He pulled back from the crowd. And my question, do you have a place where you withdraw? And if not, I'd find one because Jesus said, find a place, come away, shut the door. Just be with me, just, just discuss with me, just listen to me, just talk to me, tell me. I know I'm here, it's not, I don't care. It's, it's I'm for you, I'm with you. The second thing to figure out about Elijah and his whole prayer life is that Elijah's prayer was based on a promise. His entirety of his prayer is based on a promise that God said, I'm gonna send rain on the earth. God said it. And you may say, well, if God already said it, if he already said he's gonna do it, then why do I need to pray about anything? He's already made up his mind, right? It's already his will, so it doesn't make a difference. It almost makes you think that prayer is just a big waste of time. And I know it's crazy, but this is really the wonder of prayer. Instead of God just saying, I'm, I'm gonna do this. Instead of him just making the promise, I'm gonna do it. Him declaring that is meant to inspire us to prayer. It's meant to direct our praying so that our prayers are in line with what God has promised. Does that make sense? He wants to align us. So in, in the first Kings passage, seven times he sends his servant to go look at the sky and the sky is perfectly blue, not a cloud in sight. Why does he keep why does he keep praying? Why does he keep talking to God about it? Why does he keep talking about it? Because God said, I'm going to send the rain. So he continues to pray it. He continues to send his servant to look. So prayer is built on what God has promised us he will do. Prayer starts with God telling us what he's after. Not us thinking, what should I pray about? What should I lift up to him? It's more of a response to what God is already up to, that he initiates this. He initiates what he wants to do. And we come and we pray to him in light of all that. That's what our prayer life is about. In Ezekiel 36, God's already said, I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this. He said many things that God promised in that chapter. And then at the end of that huge list in verse 37, God said this. God said, if you can put it up there, my friend. Me and PG are close. Thank you. He says in Ezekiel 36, verse 37. Did I not give you that one? He said, these are the promises. He said, pretty much in that passage, he says, these are the promises. Now I want you to ask. These are the promises I want you to ask. I want you to, to understand. I promised all these things, but now I want you to pray. Now I want you to talk to me about it because somehow God is using prayer in some crazy way to draw us to a living relationship with him that he promises to inspire and motivate us. That's what the promise is all for. He wants that promise to inspire you. He wants the promises in scripture to motivate you. He wants them to, to keep you going and to give you assurance that he will do it. But he wants you to pray about it. In 2 Corinthians, Paul asked the church over and over, please pray for me, please pray for me. And one commentator said, prayer is stressed over and over again in the Bible as a vital prerequisite for the release and experience of God's power. Isn't that good? I'm so glad I get to go to Liberty to understand this about God's word. This is awesome that, that prayer is stressed over and over again in the Bible as a vital prerequisite for the release and experience of God's power. Paul's saying, God promised me. Sure, he promised me. He sent me, but pray for me. Please lift me up to him because somehow that releases God's power. Somehow your prayers releases it. And another writer I've read from recently said, it's as though the promises are waiting for prayer for their fulfillment. The promises are there from God, but prayer ignites it. God already said, I'm going to send the rain. And Elijah said, all right, now come on, now come on, you do it, you do it. Same thing with Daniel reading from Jeremiah. Remember he picked up, he picked up the writings and he read in the writings that the exile should be over in 70 years. And he starts looking and he's like, dude, 70 years are up. 
But he didn't run out into the streets and start looking goofy. Yeah, 70 years old, woo, exile's over. He didn't do that, right? He devoted himself to prayer and to fasting. And he, and he ran inside, he, he, he devoted himself to that and the history just began to break open. Why? Because God found someone, oh, listen to me, this is so big. God found someone in Daniel who would take his promise, promises seriously and just lay hold of them. That's what he found in Daniel. Somebody who would read his promises and take them so seriously and just take them by the, by, by the horns and just run with it and roll with them. Church, he's looking for the same thing in us. The exact same thing in me and in you. People who will take the promises of Scripture seriously and ignite them. Jesus is constantly inviting you to ask me. Seek me. Knock on the door. Find me. Come on. Come on. Ask me. Ask and seek and knock and ask and seek and knock. All through the New Testament, when, when, when that passage of Scripture comes in the Gospels, that's not a one-time ask, one-time seek, one-time knock. I've told you before, it's asking. You continue to do this. I'm going to keep coming back. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep asking. I'm going to keep seeking. I'm going to keep bringing this to you, Lord. I'm going to keep doing this. And you'll see how Elijah prays so specifically to God. And this is something I'm just not great at. That He said, he didn't say, God, somehow wake these people up. They're going after Baal. I don't know what's going to happen next. No, no, no. He says, God, stop the rain. Stop the rain. And then three and a half years later, God said, he'll start the rain. So Elijah said, Father, start the rain. Do it, start the rain. It's very focused, it's specific. It's him saying, this is what I'm asking for. This is what I'm after. That's the way he teaches us to pray. Jesus was walking through the crowds one day, comes upon someone who was ill and asked him, what do you want for me to do for you? What would you have for me to do? Well, it's obvious, right? I mean, it's obvious what he should want them to do. But Jesus is asking for a very specific request. I want you to seek me specifically. I want you to tell me what you want specifically. Um, there's a story that I read recently of a, of a man who went out to look at the stars. And he said, I've just never known you can do this. But I looked through the telescope and I'm looking at it and I see Saturn. He said, the, the rings and everything. I'm like, that's Saturn. And he looked up and he said, oh, I see stars. It's a beautiful night. But I look in the telescope and I'm like, that's Saturn. Oh, that's Saturn. He's like, I just didn't know what to do with myself. It's like, wow, there is a planet in this telescope. Do y'all get this? And it was just the funniest story. And for me in my life, I, I relate that to prayer because I want that kind of focused prayer. I want to I wanna be able to look and say, God, show me Saturn. Show me this. I see all the stars. Sure, man, I can pray for all these general things, but, but show me Saturn. That's where we find Elijah in this passage that, that, Lord, you promised, so let it rain. Let it rain now. You promised this. I'm praying according to the promises of God. That's what he did. That's what I want to do. Elijah also prayed fervently. You see it in James 5, 17, where there's this great, great power in his prayer that you've got to realize, and I've got to realize there is incredible power when you say, Lord, you said. Father, you already said this. The earnest, heartfelt prayer of a righteous man brings power to his prayers. And again, he was righteous in Christ, a man just like us who needed Jesus, who needed God, who needed, who needed God to be righteous. That's what he needed, the same way as we do. So prayer isn't some duty thing, some boring thing we do. There's like passion to it, a fervency to it. To think that we live in a time and we live in a nation that's just lost and we can pray with that kind of fervency. That Moses did this. 
Remember while Moses was up on the mountain with God, the people down below, they were whining. Remember all this? Where's Moses? Where'd that dude go? While Moses is up on the mountain, you know, praying, talking to God, they're down there and they're like, well, let's just make a symbol for God. And so Aaron forms this, this golden calf and they begin to, to worship the idol and they begin to dance around it and all this stuff. And they're just, you know, it's this exciting thing. And they worship this idol as if that idol, that piece of gold was what delivered them. And then God said in Exodus 32, seven, he says, and the Lord said to Moses, go get down for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. And then in verse 10, and this is really odd. This is really strange stuff. It says, now therefore, this is God talking to Moses. Now therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them and I will make of you a great nation. Isn't that strange? It's as if man can hinder God for God to say to Moses, let me be, leave me alone so I can judge them. I mean, what power does just a man have? Does just Moses have? What power is that? What's even crazier is in verse 11 where Moses speaks this, pleased with the Lord, his God, and says, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of this land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? He keeps going and says, why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them? to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Moses is arguing with God. He, he says, these are your people. And what's even wilder is that he wins the argument. He says, these are your people. He says, Moses, I'm gonna make you the new Abraham. I'm just gonna start a new nation with you. And Moses says, no, what are the heathens gonna think? What are these Egyptians gonna think that don't know you? You said you would bring them in and you're not gonna do it. This is, this is wonderful for us today. And it, it really messes with you at first, but this is good. This is confusing, but it's really wonderful that we can debate and argue our apologetics to a lost world that doesn't believe in God. But above all, we can pray. We can ignite the power of God in the ways he wants to release it by praying and by pleading with him. He's looking for our prayers to ignite his promises. That's what he's looking for. So think about praying fervently like that. Some of us say, you know, I, I don't really pray like that. I just kind of pray here and there just throughout the day. And, and I think that's great. I mean, as great as that truly is, I think we miss the biggest part of prayer. It isn't just for fellowship with God. It's not just for fellowship, but it's about fervent prayer releases the power of God as he sees fit, right? As he's already said, as he's already promised, it releases it and praying like that keeps you focused on heaven, keeps you focused on eternal things rather than just your day-to-day -day headaches and car repairs and bills, as important as all that is. It keeps you focused on the eternal things. And then the last thing that I think is so cool is that Elijah kept on praying. When he looked out, the sky was still blue. And he didn't say, well, forget it then. No, man, he kept on praying. He told his servant, go look again. And the servant looked and it's clear, it's clear. Go look again. Elijah, I need sunglasses, man. It is, it is like, it is great out there. It, no, go look again, go look again, go, go look again. And he kept sending him again and again and again. He kept doing it. Elijah would not let go. He wouldn't. There's two parables in the New Testament that Jesus relates to prayer that make most of us very uncomfortable, including me. One being about a mean judge who, who this woman keeps coming to him and keeps asking for things, asking for things, asking for things. And finally, the mean judge, not because he likes her, not because it's right, but just to shut her up, says, fine, 
just do it. Fine. Yeah, that's fine. She will not let go. So he gives in to her. The other parable was of a, of a friend who had a buddy come by unexpectedly, but he had no food. So he went and knocked on his other buddy's door at midnight. His friends didn't want to get up. They said, I'm in bed. Leave us alone. He needed three loaves of bread. I need bread. I need bread. He would not leave. He is so persistent. Just keeps knocking. I know you're in there. I know you're in there. You got to open this door. I need bread. I need bread. I need bread. Finally, the friend opens the door, gives him bread. Both of those stories. Why would Jesus give us two stories like that to tell us that's the way prayer is? So we would learn to not pray the fluff prayers that are just weak and soft, but to pray persevering prayers. To pray prayers that last, to pray prayers that are bigger than my little problems and my little things and my little world. Sometimes prayer is immediate. Elijah said, bring fire. And what happened? (sighs) Let the fire fall and it fell. Other times there's this delay where you don't see the end at all. Other times there's, you know, there, there's just tough opportunities where you don't see an end to it and you just have to press through, continuing to seek God. And it's in that continuing church that we grow. We grow so much, we get stretched where we're saying, but Lord, you promised, but God, you said, you said it would rain and I'm not gonna stop asking until I see rain. I'm not gonna stop until I see the, 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 the rain flow. I'm not gonna stop. Christ meant prayer to be the greatest power by which his church should do its work and that the neglect of prayer is the reason the church won't have great power. I wanna encourage us, church. I wanna encourage you this morning. Let's pray as a church, as a youth group, as life groups, as leaders. Let's pray. That's what this story is all about. Elijah was a man just like us, except he prayed. So let me encourage you. This is part of our high calling to pray. We're believers, right? We're followers of Christ. We're disciples of his. So let's impact this world with our prayers. Would you stand with me and let's just pray together. Father, your name is great. Your name is above all names. And we could, you could invite us to come to you in any form or in any fashion, Lord, to talk to you in a specific way, God. And that is your right. That is your calling to be able to do, God. You can tell us whatever you want because you're God, but you choose to allow us to call you Father. You choose to allow us to address you as our Heavenly Father. And so, God, there are people in here right now, Father, that, that they need you desperately. Lord, they feel so isolated from the world. They feel isolated from their family. They need you desperately, Lord. So Father, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to them. There have been men and women in here, God, I'm sure that have come week after week after week that have been hardened towards you, towards the church. And here they sit, Lord, understanding who you are and what you want for them. Lord, I pray that you would give them courage to be able to respond to you this morning, God, that you would give them the the tenacity, Lord, to stick with it, with their problems, with their issues, with their questions, God, to bring them to you and to say, here they are, Father, just deliver me from this and take my life. Lord, there are others of us, Lord, who just struggle in a deep way, Lord, to to have consistency with you. And I pray for us, Lord, that that we would be able to be free this morning, not to be able to to just have some... um, just uh, to-do list of spending time with you, Lord, but that we would be free to have a relationship, a give and take, listening, Lord, where we shut the door, where we get by ourselves, we fall on our face, put our face between our knees, God, and, and just listen to you and talk to you, not just about our own little issues, but God, about the 
greatest things in the world. Lord, the, the promises that you've already made to reach the nations. Lord, that you win in the end and that you are most glorified and that one day all people will fall on their face to worship you. Above the earth, under the earth, on the earth, all of us will fall on our faces, fall on our knees to worship you, God. All of that is in your word. So God, may we honor you today. May you do something great in our church. May you let the rain fall on us, Lord. May you bring that. Some days, Lord, it's as nice a day as ever outside, Lord, and it doesn't seem like your rain's coming, but God, we know if you promised it that it's gonna happen. So Lord, may you encourage these people to let them know who you are and what you're going to do in them, in us, in their families. And may we believe. May we believe in, in a greater way than we ever have. May we ask and seek and knock and ask and seek and knock and not give up until you answer the prayer, Lord, that you've promised. Father, we love you. And we ask all this in your name. Listen, could you just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed and just spend some time with your Father? Just spend some time with your Father. If that's on your face, spend some time with your Father. If that's at an altar, spend some time with your Father. If that's with your husband's hand, walking with you, then you just do it. You just give your best.